Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I'm Guy Shaw, a partner in Hydric and Struggles London office and the leader of our Web3 and digital assets practice in EMEA. I'm joined in today's podcast by my colleague, Alison Robinson, uh, who's also a partner in Hydric and Struggles London office and spends her time focused on media, entertainment and consumer growth tech. In today's podcast, we are really excited to speak to Dan Chaplin, a partner at the technology investor Dawn Capital. Dan's investment portfolio stretches across B2B fintech and includes businesses like Tink, Billy, Access Fintech and Open Gamma. But he has specific investments in digital assets that include Copper and Elwood Technology. And notably, he also leads Dawn's initiatives in the digital asset space. Prior to Dawn, Dan was uh, with JP Morgan in London, where he found his passion for fintech investing, advising Europe's leading financial institutions on M&A and corporate finance. Dan, welcome and thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, just to get this kicked off, walk us through your journey into digital assets and give us a sense of what drew you into the space in the first place. So I guess I've come at this really from uh, the investment side and and kind of with a background in financial markets. So that's really the perspective I've sort of taken on the space. My career has been in financial services. I was initially advising banks, asset managers, market infrastructure businesses. Um, and then at Dawn, I've been investing largely into B2B fintech uh, companies um, and specifically kind of really looking at infrastructure propositions. And that's something that Dawn's always had a a, a long-standing interest in, you know, we're looking for the kind of technologies and technology businesses that are providing foundations, like efficient foundations uh, for other companies to go and build business applications, consumer propositions, whatever the case may be. And in the fintech space, we've done a bunch of those kind of businesses. I'm thinking companies like Tink in the open banking space, which was um, helping to people to facilitate much more efficient and, and cheap uh, payments and transfer of data between banks. Access Fintech as well, another one, which is a, effectively a data management proposition for buy side and sell side firms to collaborate on trade information in the cloud. You know, these are kind of really uh, interesting financial markets, infrastructure companies that are helping to create more efficient financial processes uh, and the foundations for those, those companies to operate on. So I guess that's the way that we've come at um, this digital assets space. The crypto market's been going for quite some time now. It was initially very consumer focused. I think in the last five years, we've started to see a much more deep engagement from the largest banks, the largest asset managers, looking at the space and thinking, well, how can we use this technology to support our businesses? And I think we feel that the, the, the technology itself has some really uh, inherently interesting dynamics that, that, that can power really interesting financial markets use cases. And I guess, you know, there's been a ton that's written about this, but I'd kind of briefly frame it in the following way, which is sort of traditional financial markets effectively compose um, a bunch of very fragmented regional systems. Um, they're highly intermediary operated. They work very well by and large, and they, they've been built up over decades and decades, and they're a sort of big patchwork of these systems and, and counterparty relationships. But 
you know, that patchwork is so complex uh, and the data between the parties in that patchwork is so fragmented that the, the financial processes themselves often break down uh, and they struggle to kind of interoperate with one another. Whereas digital assets, by comparison, they're natively global, um, they're programmable, they're composable, they're transparent, they're available anywhere that an internet connection exists. And they also, I guess, fundamentally create a single source of truth for data for financial participants to collaborate on and to build workflows around. And that means that there's use cases for them to um, do things like uh, reducing settlement times. I, I think that's one that's been written about and is pretty well understood. You know, that, that can create a huge amount more liquidity in the market and make markets much more capital efficient. I think there's fantastic use cases potentially around cross-border payments, which is hugely hamstrung at the moment by correspondent banking networks. And then, you know, over time, I think, I guess it's a panacea, but I think we can create much more transparent and actually resilient uh, financial markets, which is not necessarily something you would associate with crypto. But I think that the technology over time has the has the potential uh, capacity to, to create that. So. We're a venture investor. We're taking long-term bets on where, where markets will go. We've looked for enabling infrastructure propositions that support this digital assets ecosystem. We've done two investments so far in the space. We've done Copper, which is a, a custody platform. So effectively working with large banks, um, crypto funds, asset managers, and helping them to uh, safely store these assets um, but also operate, interact with financial markets in an efficient way. Uh, and then we've done Elwood, which is a, a trading and uh, portfolio management system. Yeah, super interesting. And obviously your investments until this point have, to your point, been at the financial markets end of infrastructure for digital assets. Is that a niche that you're, you're always going to focus on at dawn? Or is, is there an appetite to think about broader infrastructure within digital assets, maybe not so closely related to financial markets? I think it's step by step. I, you know, I think the financial markets use cases for crypto are, I think they're the, some of the clearest and they're probably some of the nearest term. So from our perspective, it's where the bulk of the, the near term uh, return on technology infrastructure is likely to be. That's not to say that we wouldn't do other, other categories. Certainly some of my colleagues who are much more focused on things like developer uh, infrastructure tools. How do you actually make developers more efficient and, and, and support their um, processes? There's some, there's some really interesting companies that have been built in that space as well. And that's certainly an area which we're diving deeper on. At the end of the day though, we're a B2B focused firm. So we're not really looking for you know, consumer facing applications for these, these businesses uh, right now. Dan, famously the sector is very fast moving and you've attracted you and others have attracted executives with diverse outlooks and philosophical beliefs. And most recently, we've obviously seen a number of setbacks. In your view as an investor, where have certain parts of the industry gone wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. There's obviously been some setbacks over the last few months. Um, I'd want to distinguish them between structural problems with the crypto market, which I don't think has been the cause for them, and potentially bad actors at play. I think that the setbacks have largely been the result of the latter. And I think that stems also from some questionable risk management and probably due diligence decisions that were taking place in 
the dizzy heights of 2021. But, you know, ironically, I think it's also been, it's the centralized actors that have obviously, uh, that have like most obviously been at the heart of some of these setbacks. When the right checks and balances have been in place, you've not seen the same kind of issues. And the decentralized players themselves, like DeFi itself has proved remarkably resilient um, through this market. Some of the uh, automated market makers, they've op continued to operate throughout this volatility in, in exactly the way that you'd expect them to. And there's obviously big headlines at times around hacks uh, of protocols, and you know, that does come down to problems in in the way that, techno that this technology infrastructure is maturing. But I think um, that's to be expected in this kind of market. It's very fast moving. At the end of the day, we're trying to build like a new asset class, a new infrastructure paradigm, and there's always going to be growing pains to get through, and you have to be conscious of that. I think looking ahead. You want the regulators to be laying out a kind of clear path and structure for the sector to operate. You need the technology to have uh, time to mature uh, and for the value chain and the service operators and everyone who exists around the ecosystem to, to mature. And I think we're seeing that happening at pace. Yeah, interesting. And just sort of um, with that in mind, you, you mentioned kind of a, a large part of the cause of what we've seen in the market being you know, largely down to bad actors as opposed to structural issues with the markets. Obviously, there's been a common criticism of the industry that there's a lack of governance, controls, oversight at some of the larger players. Do, do you agree with that? And how, in your view, do you think some of the executives and the management teams and, and even their boards need to evolve? Yeah, I mean, I think that would probably be a fair representation of certain organizations that have operated in, in the market. But I don't think it's a systematic like uh, problem that's associated with all crypto companies. I think it's any kind of financial or well, any kind of company, really, whether or not it's financial services related or not, needs to have you know strong governance foundations, um, governance processes that are inherently there to avoid conflicts of interests uh, and to allow businesses to actually benefit all stakeholders that are involved, whether that's customers, whether it's management, um, whether it's shareholders. And I think you need to then be mindful that you're backing leaders in those organizations who are generally honest, grounded, and, and I think customer-centric. And I think customer-centricity comes down to the heart of it, because I think at the end of the day, if you can do that, then you're benefiting all stakeholders around the table. And Dan, when, when we think about the the news over the last month and the collapse of Signature Bank and SV, SVB, what impact do you see that having on the ecosystem? Well, I think in the short to medium term, you know, I think we've lost two valuable service providers who were pretty important and well-respected within the crypto ecosystem. I don't think the fallout or, or, or the collapse of them was sort of, there, there were certainly idiosyncrasies to both and you can't really necessarily correlate, like correspond one story to the other, but I think both were supporters of the ecosystem in different ways. And I think it's generally true that the relative uh, youthfulness of this crypto ecosystem and the way that it's being viewed by regulators right now it remains pretty tricky for crypto businesses, I think, to get access to the fiat ecosystem and to banking services. And, you know, a lot of these crypto businesses are were reliant on these kind of service providers to help them manage either deposits or payment clearing. And, and they're having to now find kind of workarounds and alternatives. So short to medium term, there's certainly been an impact. But I think overall, I'm pretty optimistic about the kind of long term 
impact that this is going to have on the ecosystem. I think, again, for any business, it's prudent to have appropriate risk management in place and to have a robust kind of set of fallback infrastructure and service providers. And I think all kind of businesses, whether they're crypto or not, have been reminded as part of this uh, in the last few weeks of, of, of just how important that is. Longer term, I think regulators, it's a constant dialogue with the, the crypto market. I think over time, we've always assumed that this market would become more heavily regulated. It would become closer to the traditional financial markets in that respect. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. And I think it will become easier over time as well for bank banks and service providers to to operate with these companies um, when that sort of when they have greater clarity around uh, regulatory frameworks within which they're operating. And and just on that theme, Dan, how how have you seen engagement from regulators change over the past? I mean, maybe we say six months rather than 12, because it feels like even the last sort of six weeks has been quite eventful. But, you know, where, where's the change from your perspective and how are you seeing their approach to this industry uh, developing? Yeah, I mean, I think that the regulators view of the crypto market, I mean, there's idiosyncrasies in every single geography, right? But at a very high level, I think completely fairly, regulators have been really focused on protecting retail holders. And I think that is absolutely the right thing to do for this market to to have strong foundations and to be successful in the long term. Having said that, I do think there's more that regulators could probably be doing to provide assurance and clarity for businesses operating in this market. And I think putting in place fair and progressive regulatory regimes that actually allow their own countries to capture all the benefits that digital assets as a technology has to offer um, global capital markets. I think there's more that that can be done. Uh, And I think it's it's an ongoing dialogue. And there's obviously many different viewpoints within the regulators themselves and within political parties that sit above, you know, and alongside uh, those regulatory organizations. Generally, I think there's a tendency for regulators to sort of huddle together. They're not by nature risk takers. They want safety, security. They want reassurance that they're pretty much in line um, with one another. And there's no real prizes as a regulator for being a kind of first mover, um, particularly in kind of large jurisdictions. But I do think we're starting to see at a political level pressure for these regulators to engage more closely with the ecosystem to understand how they're going to derive benefits from things like a central bank digital currencies over time. And so I think over the medium term, whether that's driven by client demand or or by regulation, we're going to see a better alignment of global regulatory frameworks. I think we're going to see some of the sort of more traditional financial markets, you know, regulations coming in and, and being put in place into the crypto market. And I think that will do things like segregate duties between players, reduce conflicts of interest between trading venues, custody settlement providers, um, between exchanges, clearing houses, whatever the case may be. And I think that will reduce conflicts of interest. It will protect customers. It will give the space much more clarity. And I think it will give it strong foundations to, to realise the benefits of the infrastructure itself. Yeah, and, and look, I, the answer to this question will depend a bit in region with the, the idiosyncrasies you reference. But at a high level, how, how do you see some of this intervention, some of those frameworks that you reference impacting industry behaviour? The different pace at which regulatory regimes around the world move, I think will certainly impact 
the development and the pace of development of ecosystems that sit underneath it. You need a progressive, relatively progressive regulatory regime in order to allow some of these firms to grow and to flourish. I mean, then a lot of them are naturally operating in very gray areas. And you know, it's only right that they take a conservative view of what the regulators in that market will suggest. So the quicker they can, they can get clarity and the more closely they can align themselves with the regulators, the, the more confidence they can have to invest into their own businesses. There is some tension. I think you're starting to see regulatory regimes begin to compete with one another. The, the US, I think, most recently is taking a much more conservative view. I don't know whether that will continue to be the case in the long term, but certainly I think that's the way the market is going for the short term. Sitting in Europe, we, we I, and in the UK, I think we're starting to see a much more forward-thinking set of kind of views and relationships um, between regulators and, and the crypto market generally. And, and Dan, as you think about the implications of what we've been discussing for the next, the, the coming years, how's that shaping how you're thinking about investments and the prospects that you're looking at? I'm not sure it's changed necessarily a great deal. I, I would say we've seen this as a five, 10, 15 year kind of market development journey. We're seeing digital assets as an infrastructure that can potentially be a foundation for financial markets for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And we know that change doesn't happen overnight. And as I said before, there's obviously growing pains to get through. What we're looking for is to take early bets on really strong technology and really strong teams who can speak both the language of crypto native players, where a lot of the activity in the market is today, and traditional financial services firms, where I think much of the volume and much of the financial payoff will be you know, over the longer term. So that's the, the approach that we've always taken to the space. I think in Copper and Elwood, we have companies that are, are doing exactly that. You know, Dimitri, CEO at Copper, you know, he spent most of his career in the traditional financial asset management space. That's a company that's been hiring senior executives from places like MasterCard, City, and I think they are putting the company on a footing where we can have very, very strong uh, relationships with the largest financial institutions in the space, people like State Street. Elwood, similarly, that's a company that has the credibility of a strong relationship with Alan Howard, um, of Brevin Howard, you know, one of the largest global hedge funds. Alan Howard, extremely forward-thinking um, investor in the digital assets market. And we have in there partners and co-investors with Goldman Sachs, with, with Barclays. That these are the kind of companies that we're looking to back, you know, people who can create strong uh, relationships in that crypto native space, fast moving, agile, understanding um, use cases today, but also kind of having really like-minded and, and harmonious conversations with, with the biggest financial institutions in the market. And just on, on that point, Dan, in terms of, you know, you referenced some of the types of profiles that Copper have been hiring, some of the um, industry associations that Elwood has there. Just a, a final question to wrap up on. What are the uh, the leadership capabilities and qualities that you think are important for uh, organizations in this space to be bringing on board as they as they chart the sort of next chapter for, for digital assets? Yeah, it's a maturing market, right? So you have to be um, willing to operate and uh, uh, in 
often what are kind of shades of gray. <laughs> so, so you need to be a very, very flexible, I think, individual. And you also need to be very agile and be able to kind of operate your organization in an agile way as that market kind of moves around you. And I think that means you also have to be very open, very honest, and a really strong communicator. So you can advocate for the market itself with all the various outside forces that, that impact this ecosystem, but also as a spokesperson for your company itself uh, and, and for the team that you're kind of trying to bring along with you in, on the mission. I think that means you also need a leader who can kind of create the right culture in the organization, people who are who, who value the importance of risk management, who value the importance of compliance, who are highly institution friendly, but are at the same time flexible and fast moving. And I think that, that that's what you kind of see in these, the, the companies that are really interesting in this market are the ones that are building deep, resilient technology, but who have an ambition to really provide foundations for the global financial markets in years to come. I think City even last week produced a report saying they think roughly $8 trillion of traditional assets are going to be moved onto tokenized rails by 2030. And that's the kind of volumes that you're going to have to be dealing with. And you need leaders and, and businesses that can support that, that level of what is ultimately going to become you know, systemically important, globally systemically important infrastructure for financial markets. Yeah, there certainly is a very large prize here. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's the it's it's and it's totally greenfield, which is exactly what we as venture investors like. Well defined, well understood categories, which frankly need strong infrastructure and different infrastructure to the ones that that already exist. And uh, that's a massive opportunity. For sure, Dan. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, to speak with us today. That was uh, that was super super interesting. Appreciate you sharing your your perspective so so candidly. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.